Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff: shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined in the shed by Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going there, Matt? Uh, we are having a lovely day here in good old New York City. Now, are you losing husband points for being here in the shed with me and not celebrating the American Mother's Day? You would think that would probably be the case, but as I've agreed to uh, get takeout from the wife's favorite all-time takeout restaurant later on, I'm being given a fair amount of uh, liberty this afternoon. Also, the cooking shows are on right now, and they're perfectly happy to have me not there. I love hearing the various the various negotiations from our panel and crew uh, with their other halves uh, in order to be able to be part of Miss Apex podcast. And sometimes the disastrous telling offs when I bully people into ordering expensive equipment or I don't know, go on for about an extra hour more than I than I said. I believe that none of the Miss Apex wives or husbands trust me. When I say that such and such a show will finish at such and such a time, Matt, I've, I've lost it. The trust is gone. Yeah, it, it it really was probably never there to begin with, if I'm being honest. But we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the current kind permission of our better halves. Long may it continue. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. This next guest is edgy and he requires edgy intro music it's kyle power how's it going kyle very well thanks banners happy to be back and still recovering from a frantic night racing in our superb iRacing championship the other night yes we'll definitely have a little bit of a segment on the iRacing not because we want to go on and on about how our video game went and i know some of you think of it as a video game but i think kyle it's fair to say and like i said we'll explore a bit later on that we have perhaps me and matt more than you we've learned a lot about racing and what drivers go through from doing sims in a vr headset yeah and it's not that far apart from some experience i've had in real life and 
And yeah, it gives you a whole new appreciation for what's around you and also dealing with pressure of people flying up behind you and flying up the inside. So it's, it's, yeah, it's brilliant. I'm, I think I'm besotted with it. Yeah. It's, it's definitely helped frame some of our viewpoints of racing stuff. So we'll, we'll marry up our experiences with some F1 stuff later on in the show. There's some, some actual news news. Things are afoot. Things are changing. We've also got an interview with the Guardian. Formula One writer Giles Richards as well. Fantastic to, to, to have him pop into the shed earlier on. We'll play that, that interview uh, with you um, before we start talking about the prospect of behind closed doors races happening. We're, we're tantalizingly close. Ah, that's, 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 too, that's too soon. We are, I can taste it. It's in the distance. F1 is not a distant dream. I, I feel, Matt, I feel like it's kind of on the horizon. 53 days. Is that what we're going for? 53 days. We'll come back to that. But first, let's have a bit of Big Dirty News. Big Dirty News. Oh, and did I mention that there's a a Catman quiz for the three of us as well at the end of the show? At the 45-minute point. This isn't going to be a two-hour show with a quiz. At the 45-minute point, we're going to start the quiz and we're going to wrap it up in a neat bow uh, by the hour and 15-minute mark. You can you can keep me to that, Matt. That limit is as strict as the upcoming cost cap. Okay, because we've always been so very, very good about being on time for everything. Mostly your fault. I, mostly my fault. I don't know. I, who was here ready for the show before... And no, and did not have to get up from his seat and go get his beverage. Was it you? Was it Kyle? I guess we'll me. I guess we'll never know. Tell us about the cost cap. We never will. All right. So the cost cap. We have seen the ins and outs, the backs and forths, the savage riposts of the various players. Uh, But we are now being assured that the 145 million cost cap is now essentially a done deal. And what we are looking at and what is the only thing really being discussed at this point is how much it will fall the subsequent years. And the number we're seeing right now is 130 million, uh, the sec, in the second year of restrictions. But apparently that's what all the fuss is still about. Um, and it's a question of how long it's going to take to phase it in because the larger teams are still on the, well, we have all this staff we're going to need to move around. And we'd appreciate some extra time to be able to to settle them rather than just chuck them out the window. Okay, so let's get some perspective on that. So $145 million, is that is that correct, Matt? You've put it in the show notes as, as dollars. Um, is that you, you and your US-centric uh, way of thinking? And is this before or after the US inflate massively their their dollar and the price of gold to get out of their national debt? Oh, there I go again. There I go again with the politics. Jeff from Peterborough is not going to be happy. Um, $45 million. Where does that put us on the scale of what the teams are currently spending? I'm guessing it's really only the top for four, four or five teams that are going to have to actually reduce their spending. Uh, yeah. So I can confirm for you that in the article, it is indeed dollars that are referenced. And, uh, well, relatively speaking, there was an article about Racing Point recently in which they pegged their budget at about $110 million. And saying it yeah. was amongst the lowest uh, in Formula One. Uh, some may argue Haas's budget is slightly lower and or they have fewer people. But it gets complicated because they outsource the building of their chassis to Dallara. 
So it's not a simple apples oranges comparison. Okay, Stuart Neal. Hello in the chat room. Stuart Neal is a person who is in our chat room with uh, several other people. There's more than just Stuart Neal. Uh, there's Udavir, uh, Ivind, Bernie. I don't think that's the real Bernie. Mark, DJ. Hi, guys. Welcome to the live stream. Go to YouTube, search for Mr. Apex Podcast. And from there, when you catch us live, you can chat along like these guys are. Stuart Neal, a karting attendee, by the way. Hello, Stuart. Says, don't forget the cost cap does not include the talent. Therefore, like the cost cap, there is no chance that this stream will end on time as the talent are not included in the rules. Ooh, I didn't read ahead. I only read the first bit of that comment. Darn. Um, so, you know, for example, Vettel on 40 million, that reduces, that reduces the effective, uh, cost cap when you look at, look at it relative to what they're spending at the moment. So a, a team like Racing Point, are they quoting the driver's wages? Cause I, th- I believe on paper, Lance Stroll actually does get a paycheck. And I also believe that Perez gets a paycheck as well. So, you know, if you take off, you know, 10, 15 million from that annual budget, it's just a a thing worth bearing in mind. Yeah, no, the article about Racing Point did not distinguish where the budget numbers came from. I think usually it's traditional to include driver salaries and all the marketing and all the people. When you're talking about, oh, you know, Mercedes spending half a billion dollars a year, blah, blah, yak, yak. But you were correct to point out, and it is in the regulations. This is very much aimed at the working staff in the Formula One and engineering and at the racetrack, not the drivers, not the marketing and the, all the celebratory other stuff, which is, to be fair, part of what makes it worthwhile for the manufacturers. If they can't leverage their success for marketing um, purposes and sell lots of cars and make money, then the investment in the team becomes less worthwhile for them. So I don't think it's unreasonable to sort of decide what the core functionality is that needs to be regulated and regulate it that way to try and make a more fair uh, playing ground. But also, uh, again, it in these times, it becomes a way for manufacturers and so on to sell to their corporations that are sponsoring them that we are becoming more efficient and therefore it is okay to stay in this sport. I, now, speaking of efficiency, I, I, I'll speak to Kyle, who is a, a management type in an engineering type firm. Uh, you are, you know, you are well probably used to the fact that large engineering corporations can get quite bloated in the staff department. And I don't know if that's the same with Formula One, but as they all drive to make efficiencies, Still, I think the better teams with more resources will just be better at making those efficiencies. So it's not it's not as clear cut as as you might think. Oh, absolutely. And I think we did a show last year uh, reviewing the year and how uh, each team their how much bang for their buck that they got. And I think about Haas and Williams were down near the bottom, around about 150 million. I think it was total, like with the drivers and everything as well. So um, obviously they're running very efficiently, but as I'm noticing now in where I work at the moment as well, it's become obvious that there there is some bloating and stuff and it's in exceptional times like these where you really do notice that, or oh, maybe we can yeah. cut back here and we can cut back there. So this is, um this is, it could be quite brutal for some people, but I think the small teams are already running very efficiently. They can't afford bloating in their stuff. Whereas the big teams are, yeah, yeah, we can. Yeah, we'll have them. He's been here all all the time. So yeah. So so I think the point there, Matt, is the bigger teams 
are going to be able to find those efficiencies more than the smaller teams who are already running very tightly because you can't really grow and get successful and large without throwing lots of stuff at the wall. And by doing that, you are going to, you know, build some fat into that. And I'm not saying that there's people at Brackley who are just fat. I don't know that organization inside out. But I think it's going to be easier for Mercedes and Ferrari to lose people and stay at the same level. If uh, a smaller team had to lose the same amount of people, they would lose much more performance. Yeah, no, the, the, there's much more redundancy in terms of staff and probably much more compartmentalization as well in terms of staff. I mean, at a place like Mercedes, you could, you could chase hundreds and say, Oh, I found a development that might bring two hundreds and they might consider it because they can afford to. But yeah. we know from talking to Mr. Carter that, you know, you better be bringing tents to the table if you want me to spend money on actually building something and testing it and bringing it to the track. But I do want to say one more thing, and uh, just to be clear, because it's come up in the chat room a bit, I don't think any of the big teams, well, maybe Red Bull, who have contract workers, but outside of them, uh, the the manufacturer teams uh, will be laying off staff or getting rid of staff. They will be simply, they will, new homes will be found for them, whether either in other motorsports applications or in the parent company. And I'm taking as my model for this Ferrari, which is already said, uh, we saw in the interview uh, he said, oh, look, we don't, we're not going to fire anybody, but we will find other projects within Ferrari, other motorsports projects to move them to. But that might take some time. And that's why we're asking not to implement harsh cuts immediately. So we have time to, to rehouse our workers uh, instead of firing them. And uh, Kyle. Yeah. And added to that, uh, some of the senior staff could find themselves a lot more um with a lot more on their hands. So they'll have supplementary roles instant. So if they do let somebody else go, then some of the senior staff will split that up and pick up parts of their role to have to do as well. So, so if there was like senior members of staff hoping to come out with an easy ride of this, they're going to have a nasty shot because they're probably going to have their workload doubled now of all this streamlining just means more work for people. The work won't disappear at the end of the day. So, uh, Matt, uh, Renault and their approach to uh, the end of this year and cost caps, that's in the show notes. Uh, which one of you was to comment on that? Um, I'm happy to comment on that. I, we can talk about it a bit more at length. But Renault is, like to me, one of the most interesting cases when it comes to money. They left, they retained a share, they sold it off, and then they came back in in 2016 thinking that they would get the same kind of marketing that we see Mercedes having and, you know, Ferrari being a brand unto itself. I don't think it plays by the same rules, but very clearly they were targeting the glory. And it was very much a Renault project because their partner Nissan had grown far, far beyond them. And even though they were living off of their investment and having saved Nissan and turned it around, I, I think they wanted to expand themselves to make themselves financially equal partners, shareholders, they were controlling partners, but I think it's just a, um, a matter of uh, maybe prestige. Perhaps we could go there. And it has gone very oddly for them. And I do feel that in looking at Cyril's comments, and, and we've had this discussion before, and you, you always give me a lot of grief about it. Uh, but I think in his comments to the board and in terms of his plan, he's very much at this point put forward to them that the new regulations will now be when we see Renault properly competitive. 
it's been very complicated because no one knows what's going to happen between now and 2022 when we're expecting the new regulations to drop. Yeah, and he's also been caning the board and has secured a load more investment so they could get Daniel Ricciardo. They've um, they've put in a lot more investment into their engine departments in Vinny in France, um, and they've been piling money in over the last couple of seasons. And they got a bit of a nasty wake-up call last year when they somewhat dropped the ball because they were on a very good ascension. They had a very nice line and a curve of a performance increase. So, yeah, they're feeling the heat somewhat. So Cyril has to try to be quite forceful and justify all of this extra investment he's managed to get out of the board and try to make it worthwhile. I mean, I think he's pretty much been saying we should be on the podium this year. We should be regularly fighting for podiums this year. So he's very unkeen on delaying the uh, rule changes much further. Okay, so we're going to pretend, Matt, that he didn't just say unkeen, but please carry on with your response. There's got to be unkeen. That's not a word. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. All right. All right. Grammatologist, write us in. Yeah. Just let us know. Is it a word? Is it not a word? We're not going to take a moment and look it up on the Googles right now. But I do want to say something because, you know, when you research stuff like this, Renault has a fairly lengthy history in Formula One. Uh, they've had world championships on their own. They supplied Red Bull with their championship winning engines uh, throughout the 2000s to 20 teens. Yeah, 20 teens, I guess we would say mostly. Um, And then when they took fully the plunge, they got the worst rap possible. And Mr. Carter has commented on this. Christian Horner has certainly commented on this uh, most amusingly. (laughs) They showed up in 2014 with a V6 engine that couldn't run more than a lap or two at a time. And they were universally derided having provided a terrible product and so on and so forth. But if you look at their history, they have provided good engines for a long period of time. And thinking about it, and I believe this is overlooked, the whole genesis of the new regulations in Formula One that came in in 2014, originally targeted for 2013, was from Renault, which wanted a more hybrid engine, wanted a more efficient engine. However, they wanted an I-4. They wanted an inline four. And the manufacturers, other manufacturers disagreed and switched it to a V6. And I do believe to a certain extent that may have put them pretty far behind in terms of their development relative to teams like Mercedes, who knew all along that's what they were going to get and that's what they wanted and were therefore able to put more time and more money into developing the engine that has become the envy of every other Formula One engine manufacturer. Should have been a two-stroke though, Kyle, shouldn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) <laughs> now let's have a look at your attire uh, for the audio uh, listeners only Kyle has turned up in a Renault team shirt now uh, we got called out uh, for by a Renault team member on Twitter for um, giving Renault a, a little bit of a hard time and yes guilty guilty as charged I quite often say Renault everybody's 10th favorite team and I, I don't think I'm alone in that it's particularly before Daniel Ricciardo, Ricciardo went there uh, obviously he's brought his own popularity i believe ocon also will so last week i was examining why it is that i've got this kind of cartoon villain impression of renault and i think it, it was down to cyril uh, abitable the run-ins he's had he's quite uh, he's quite he seems quite aggressive um there's a, a french mannerism as well that perhaps is lost in translation uh, but kyle you have always been a Renault apologist, so it's been quite good to bring you on for some balance. Would you describe yourself as a as a Renault fan? 
I probably would, yeah. Because ultimately, I am a fan of the sport and we have to respect manufacturers and we like these teams in the sport. And Renault has done a lot for the sport. You know, the Williams Renault back in the day, the great V10 engine, they they put a Formula 1 engine in a people carrier. I mean, that's pretty cool. What, wait, what, what, F1. what? When did that happen? Do you not remember that? It's back in the 90s. They put the Renault V10 Formula 1 engine in a Renault Espace people carrier. Oh, it was brilliant. fantastic. It, it's gone up the hill at Goodwood a few times as well. It's, it's amazing. So that's pretty cool. They did the Top Gear thing. They played the national anthem with the engine noise. They have the best paint scheme, yellow and black. Oh, that's is that I've them? The shirt. Was that a Williams Renault where they played yeah. the engine noise on a test track? Uh, no, it was the Renault Renault. It was the, it was um, the Renault 2005 Renault. car I think they used for it. So that's really good. They're a fun team. They've brought some pretty cool innovations like the, uh, well, the original turbo engines back in the eighties coming in. They've, uh, the mass damper before it got banned, uh, when they were under the Lotus guys in 2011, they had a fantastic forward facing exhaust. They tried to blow the floor, <laughs> which I thought was quite good. So they're not afraid to try technically extreme solutions and we need them in. And of course, now Cyril, as I call him, the inaudible French noise. Uh, is becoming one of my favourite team bosses. What? Just because of the drama, because look at um, Drive to Survive, the uh, the first series, and him falling out with Christian Horner, that was brilliant viewing. So his emotion, and yeah, he seems like a tough cookie to, to deal with and is not afraid to show a bit of emotion. I think that's healthy. Everyone loves Gunter, but getting that screw is actually a character himself. So I can't see why people deck Renner out. I, I think they're a pretty good team, and I certainly want them to stick around. So do you think with Cyril, we've got a bit of a, a Dr. Cox from Scrubs situation where at first you think he's the baddie and there's the lovable Dr. Kelso, who's the member, and then you realise that Dr. Cox is a, just a lovable rogue with a harsh exterior. Is that what we need to do? Do we need to dig beneath the surface of a beatable? Yeah, I think if a beatable threw in a few Fs here and there in um, Drive to Survive, his popularity would go up exponentially. I think you've done that. I think um I think um Gunter has been cashing in on that where Cyril's yeah. I, I have, think I think Cyril's okay. Sorry, chat room comment. God, the chat room do put me off sometimes. Michael Distelhoff says uh Kyle's ISP is trying to protect him because you were just warbling just a little bit, but we've got you back in full force now. Uh, but I thought I'd use that as an excuse to talk about kind of general fandom within f1 and i've been asking people on on twitter as well and i'll get to some of those comments you know what is it that made you support your your team and your driver and how would you feel if that if that person or team disappeared from the sport um i think we were talking about it with ferrari you know and people saying oh f1 wouldn't be the same without ferrari Uh, but there was not many people in general matt who responded by saying that oh if lewis hamilton left i I wouldn't be interested in f1 anymore now you've come into f1 relatively recently as an american you're kind of like a convert you know in the sort of mid noughties um but you don't really seem to have, have planted your flag in any one corner. I've never heard you really give any support for anyone except Ocon, which is, uh, you know, suddenly you were like, Matt's never really a fan of anyone. Then suddenly Ocon comes along. Well, my journey into Formula One was was, was fairly interesting. I, I dipped in uh, when the Tour de France first hit ESPN2. I wound up watching a lot of Formula One because it was on around the same time, like 2, 2.30 in the morning, enough to, to be entertained. And then I randomly re-encountered it uh, I think around 2007 and happened to just check in, uh, in 2008, a couple of races before, uh, Brazil. 
And I wound up watching the Brazil race, the last 15 or 20 laps. What a time to come into F1. Oh, well knowing what was on the line between Hamilton and Massa. And and then that was it. I had to watch all the races after that. And it was just a slow descent into madness with regard to Formula One. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, initially, uh, I think I was a Lewis fan. I was a McLaren fan. Um, and... The thing I, as I've watched and you learn more about the drivers is that they all have stories. They are all interesting in their own right and the team's interesting for their own reasons. But I also became a bigger fan of the engineering, just the ingenuity, the amount of complexity required for any team to just simply even launch a car. I mean, I was, I was a huge fan of, um, uh, Marussia, you know, which, uh, our guest Gemma Hatton worked for. Yeah, uh, when she was in Formula One, uh, because they were such a low budget team. And, you know, here in America, I don't know how it is over there, but here in America, you know, underdogs always get like an extra plus 10 in fan appreciation. And the thing that drew me to Ocon, if you're asking about why I support him now, is that in learning about him when they do the narrative pieces, he comes from a solid, solidly middle class background. He was not uh, to the manor born. His parents sold everything they owned to fund his junior career, and he managed to pull it off and make it to the big leagues. And that's just, it's a highly improbable story, but it makes me, because I come from a middle-class background, I did not have the economic resources. All right, resources. stop boasting, jeez. You know, I'm not, because I, I know people come from backgrounds <laughs> that aren't even middle-class, but you get my point. Well, I've been promoted to middle-class recently, so I'm, I'm with you. I'm totally part of this conversation. Yeah, but, but you see what I mean. Uh, having someone come from a background where they didn't have to be rich to succeed is like automatically tends to get me behind the driver. And the fact that he's really fast and the fact that, and frankly, what sold me, he did an entire lap of Silverstone with his eyes closed on the first drive to survive. <laughs> I was like, okay, there's a level of talent that I cannot even imagine. Yeah, I mean, pretty interesting because, you know, for you, there wasn't like a, a ready-made American driver or outfit at the time when you came in. And a lot of the time, it does go along nationalistic lines. So uh, in our Slack group, uh, which, by the way, uh, you know, is for our fantastic patrons that I love, patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. You guys are my absolute favorite people in the world. You keep us here independent and going strong. Um, but uh, Clappers says... I've always gone for the British drivers and been lucky enough uh, that during, a, you know, to be around for a very rewarding uh, era for the Brits, Mansell, Hill, Button, Hamilton. Um, at the start, I thought it was just the fact that they were British in F1. But as a watcher of British touring car events too, uh, I, I see that they're coming through from the junior level. And because he sees them coming through the junior level, he's even more invested. Now, Clappers, from having seen him on our Patreon pub night, um, a very relaxed gentleman. I'm going to say he's about the same age as me, born in 1980. Kyle, you are, what, 1984? Five. Very close. 1985. Oh, you look a lot older than that. You've clearly had a very, very tough life. Uphill mm -hmm. paper round in Scotland. Moved to the Highlands for your paper round, did you there? Uh, right. <laughs> so uh, it's exactly the same for me. I've had a rich vein uh, of British drivers. It's certainly interesting how it's evolved, Kyle, because... In the 80s, 90s, you'd have Murray Walker kind of very openly cheering for, for Damon Hill and British bias was not seen as a thing. 
it was really cut and dry. Whereas now, you know, not so much. You know, people are, will almost have a go at you if you're favouring the British drivers, which is like a, a quarter of the grid now, if you're, if you're favouring them too much. Yeah, but sort of conversely to that, also Murray Walker was a huge Michael Schumacher fan as well. And he used to say on the broadcast, he makes no bones about he is a massive Michael Schumacher fan, which is also what, what I was. So when I was going to school and I very first got into Formula One, I was about six years old. And I remember watching it with my brother and I remember hearing his name, Schumacher, and I thought it was a funny name. So I thought, I like him. I'm going to follow him. Wow. And what a guy to uh, choose to follow. So I carried on following him and always when it was in the height of the him and the Damon Hill battle, I was kind of going to school and I was the only Schumacher fan in the school. So I used to get absolutely rinsed all yeah, the time. Good. Uh, but, I, <laughs> good. But, I, but I stuck with him and all through the heartache years, I, I stuck with him. He was my sort of driver. I liked sort of um, some of the British drivers, but basically I liked excellence. It didn't really matter about the nationality to me. Like um, I'm still a bit of a closet metal fan. Um, cause I still think he's done some pretty great things. People seem to forget what he did in that tour, tour Rosso in, um, in 2008 at Monza. That was exceptional. And people seem to forget that and say, as it has been, but it's not. So I appreciate fantastic talent. I'm not an Alonso fan, but I was supporting him in 2012 because the things he was doing with that car was amazing to watch. So let's see. Hang again, on. Hang I'm on. a fan of the sport. Were you a Rosberg fan as well? Heinz Harold Frentzen? Is there a, is Heinz Heinfeld? Yeah. Wait, I think you're just a Germanophile. That's, that can't be the word. What's the Anglophile, but for Germans? A Germophile. No, it can't Deutschophile? be. Deutscher file. Yeah, you're just a Deutscher file, Kyle. Um, but this <laughs> brings me to, um, Anders, uh, comment in our Slack group as well. I've, ne- I won't read the whole thing. It's, it's very long. Um, I've never cared much for the prima donna class of drivers over the last 20 years. Michael Schumacher, Alonso, post Renault, Vettel, Hamilton, and Verstappen on his way to becoming such. But there is an element of, superstardom in Formula One as well, where some drivers have transcended just being a driver and there's an aura around them. And I think um, Anders has done a pretty good job of picking those guys out. You could probably add Senna to that list as well, uh, Carl. Like, you know, the real heroes of Formula One who it, it kind of, it transcends whether they're doing well or not, whether you like them or not. It's an institution. Like there is an institution of Hamilton fans, Hamfosi. Yes, and it's getting quite um, quite fractious in some of the Facebook comment sections that I see. I lurk in the background and I like to play devil's advocate as a little game. I'm in, I'm in, mine. Are you in all the Facebook F1 groups? I'm in all of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, save here. And I just see the arguments unfolding and it's unbelievable. It's usually the same small core group of people. But but yeah, with Senna particularly, people, um, it's like a lifestyle almost. People are absolutely obsessed and if you even point out a factual thing which i did the other day about 93 donnington i pointed out a slight fact that he was one of only four cars of traction control and i got absolutely torn down and had all sorts of people throwing comments at me and oh you you comment stated a fact you comment in those groups i don't comment in those groups i'm a complete lurker i do every now and then when i see something and i'm just like well i'll just put a little factual statement here or i'll turn it on its head and play devil's advocate people slagging off lewis hamilton I'll then turn it on his head. I'll I'll put a Daniel Ricciardo quote, and then and then say it's from Lewis Hamilton and watch him freak out. Oh, and that's then, clever! And then point out that it was actually from Daniel Ricciardo, and then they go very quiet. Well, that's why I do play the game of, of uh, what if Hamilton said it because lots of stuff Daniel Ricciardo Ricciardo says. I'm trying. Hey, Ricciardo! A lot of stuff Ricciardo says. If you were to quote that and say it was from Hamilton, people, you're right. The reaction would be completely, completely different. Now, Ricciardo. 
if if uh, the dice gets rolled a, a different way and, and he gets himself a drive in a top team, he's got the personality and aura as well to build that kind of legend around him. I have a feeling that his career is not going to go that way. Uh, you know, that's just me rubbing my crystal balls. Um, but there are drivers who can pull that off. So going back to Senna for a minute, you saying you you got um, you know ripped for basically not admitting that he's God. Uh, God, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I was a, a bit huge fan of of Senna when I was a kid. So being that little bit older than you, uh, my first random fandom that I attached to was Ricardo Patrese because you know because Ricardo and uh, and sharing my swarthy looks. Oh, uh, he was my first first driver I sported. Then Senna because uh, well Mansell obviously as well, but Senna just had that charismatic appeal. And when you spoke to him, when he spoke about anything, he just had supreme confidence even the way he talked about that monaco qualifying when he said every lap i felt more in tune with the car and i was just going faster and faster and faster and every lap i was finding more and more and more that yes mate that's because you were off pace to start with and it took you that long to find the ultimate pace but even though i was a center fan when i said that on some forum or other it might have been this podcast actually i got a lot of angry complaints and it's amazing carl how 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 tribal it's become. I mean, it's got to be down to social media to some extent. To yes, most it extent, has to. and it's and it's becoming quite toxic. And this sort of hive mentality, uh, it's probably all, always sort of been there. But now we have the forums and the channels to actually hear people's views. But I have noticed a sharp increase in what I call the new age F one fan. So they've um, you know, you'll get somebody slating you, telling you to shut up because you've pointed out a fact, and then you check out that there's some 12 year old who's watched the center movie and telling you that <laughs> Senna's ah. the greatest and you can think no and you can have no opposing opinion to them so um but yeah i think this has always kind of existed but there has been a sharp increase in in a lot of mudslinging between them and the same thing has happened in motor gp i have to get my customary motor gp comment in between rossi and marquez fans there's two factions dividing and it's turning to sort of football style hostility between them a little bit so is that good for the sport is it not i'm not entirely sure i hope it doesn't get to the point where you have to go to a grand prix and be genuinely fearful of be physically or or, or be like wearing the wrong color shirt yeah or be separated and like oh here's the hamilton stand here's the here's the vettel stand i don't think it's ever gonna get to that point but i have to say matt i i enjoy the passion it generates to some extent and i think we found a good balance here uh, of capturing that in, in that i actively encourage people to say like who are you rooting for we're not reporters like i know the actually you just want to see a good race carl carl definitely wants to see a good race but you know if you really admire renault and want to see that you know put your shirt on it, carl, if you're rooting for ocon matt i want to see and i know that you know you know you like seeing leclerc do well and various other drivers as well i want to see that passion come out i don't want just soulless people going it doesn't matter who wins as long as the event went well yeah, you need someone to root for, and you need someone to root against. And balancing those two without letting them get out of control is always going to be, you know, the challenge, I think, of the broadcasters yeah, and of the media and of the people who run run the websites. And of those, the people who run the websites are the ones that tend to sometimes promote that, yeah. that level of antagonism rather than trying to bring it into a little bit of balance. So so I hope we're not doing that. I hope we're not promoting antagonism. I hope we're, you know, enjoying the debate in the same way that 
I don't gamble for the money of it. And I really do do like nickel and dime bets. I, I do it to invest in what I think is going to happen. And in, in that same kind of spirit, uh, I, I also allow myself to fall into a little bit of illogical because really all the drivers are talented. They're, they're, they're all brilliant. Uh, all the teams work hard and the personalities change so often that, you know, why am I still hung up on Ferrari? that was filled with completely different people 15 years ago. Uh, you know, it's not the same team that it was now. Uh, so why am I not assessing it all individually? I'm not, because I allow myself to have a little bit of that partisan uh, fandom. And in fact, Kyle, you know, you being such a an ardent Michael Schumacher fan, it still upsets me. You know, it still upsets me from like 1994 and then 97 on Villeneuve, where I would say definitely in that time, I was absolutely a hardcore fanatic Williams fan. You could have put a, a goat in a, a Williams and I would have supported it. Uh, an alien, I, I was all in on Williams. So Schumacher was the big bad, obviously being aware of the, the terrible situation that he's found himself in, hoping him and his family have the best quality of life that, that is available to them. But I'm not going to let that colour the fact that in the 90s and the 2000s, he was the big bad. He was Darth Vader. He was definitely the dark side, Carl. And the fact that you were sat there the whole time supporting him makes me like you slightly less. Ready to pop the question? The jewellers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. But that's what almost appealed made him appeal to me even more like Murray Walker used to call him the Red Baron I remember Murray Walker I think it was the Hungarian Grand Prix 1998 and Schumacher stole 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 the win off the McLarens and Murray Walker's like the Red Baron's going forward him and he's coming and it was like dick dastardly but he was actually really good so it was this perfect sort of um almost like the villain but the villain was just better than everyone else so it was like one of these Hollywood movies where the villain wins at the end of the day which which i like i like alternate endings <laughs> so he's oh. brilliant yeah look i'm not, not gonna doubt i mean the, the thing that made him the big bad was his talent the thing that made him the big bad was that he changed the sport and he changed what it meant to be a formula one driver so, so you can't take that brilliance away but also i guess apart from the the sort of ancestral 
like bigotry basically in my brain that makes me go the germans um apart from that you know he did behave in a way that was what i sort of irked against my british sense of fair play i never saw him as someone who who had that sense of fair play uh, and you know naively perhaps but that's what always irked me a lot of people also seem to forget and i've also been lambasted in comment sections for pointing this out that um because of what happened People seem to forget a lot of Senna's misdemeanors and he was oh, yeah. just as filthy and dirty as Schumacher. And he did arguably the most dangerous, reckless takeout in the history of Formula One at 170 mile an hour going into turn one at Suzuka. He risked his life, Alan Prost's life, people in the crowd and is almost praised for it. And people seem to forget he physically assaulted Eddie Irvine. <laughs> he punched him because he had the, the, like the nerve to unlock yeah, yeah, himself. Yeah. And then and when you, imagine if somebody did that nowadays. Imagine if Hamilton did that nowadays. He well, certainly wouldn't be. Well, you don't have to imagine too it. much because, I mean, look at Schumacher. I only we've tangented a little bit, but look at Schumacher on Massa. I think, was that at the Hungaro ring when he drove him pretty much into the wall? He was an mm. ambassador for that, but because he already had that, you're the big bad, you're the villainous yeah. ca- character. Um, I, I, I don't know how much he embraced that or lent on it, uh, but it was definitely part of his, his sort of aura and appeal to people like you. Now, where I'm really curious, guys, is where that fandom transcends being a fan of Formula One. So uh, on Twitter, I asked, uh, why do you support a certain team or driver? And would you be less inclined to watch F1 if they, they left? And now Michael, uh, has replied here, MRG, a load of numbers, says, I supported Schumacher in the 90s, uh, but then when he left, he found himself utterly lost before then in 07, suddenly realising that he could join the Massa Club uh, in 08, and he was in a similar position again because he had sort of, I think the Ferrari is then the link there, Michael, I'm putting words into your mouth, into your mouth, and then I didn't like Lewis because he was a Ferrari fan, which in itself is is fascinating. But it can be defined by the great battles of the era. It was, you know, McLaren, Hamilton, Alonso, uh, Kovalainen <laughs> uh, against Ferrari, Raikkonen, and Massa, and everything. And you know, it's it's nice to pick a side. And if you are not emotionally invested in the result, I don't think you're going to enjoy it as much. And I guess that is why you know I put a nickel on the result of a race as well. I have my little betting tactic of I bet for the person I kind of don't want to win. So if a person that I do want to win wins, they've won, I'm happy. But if they don't, I get money. So it's a win-win, really. <laughs> that is the most, like, please don't copy. Trumpets, what's the legal words I need to find here? Um, they are the word. Uh, That's the opinion of yeah, yeah, Kyle, Kyle Power. Eddie Powers yeah, 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 and exactly. not the official position of Mr. Apex Podcast. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, I I think... People do, like Michael, think, oh, I am really invested in this driver and F1 wouldn't be the same if that driver left or if Ferrari left. But when it comes down to it, you go, oh, I still want to watch F1. And then you kind of latch onto, you know, another team or driver. Now, I, I will say, Matt, they're, they're, no, you make your point and I'll say what I think is an exception to what I just said. No, I, I like your point. In fact, one of the earliest in real life Formula One conversations I had came after I played golf with someone out in Brooklyn. And they had one of the uh, Pontiacs that's the 400 horsepower one, the GTO, last model. He's like, oh, yeah, I modified it, this, that. And it turned out he was a Formula One fan. I'm like, well, who are you a fan of? And he goes, oh, I'm a Kimi Räikkönen fan. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, I started watching Formula One in 2000 and whatever, right right around when Räikkönen came on the scene and became big. 
and he was a fan. And so I think to an extent, a lot of times we start out being hooked by a person, and but then the sport subsumes that. So when these people leave, if you've really become a fan, there are already other drivers that you like. Oh, you became a fan of Magnussen because of a response to Hulkenberg. Oh, you became a fan of Perez because you've lost your mind. I don't know. It could be any reason. doesn't matter. Uh, And I think this is exactly what you're talking about. If you fall in love with a driver or you fall in love with a team, then you fall in love with the sport. And once you do that, you're here for the duration. Yeah. Like for me in 2006, when Schumacher retired, I was, I was mortified. I was like, no, it's over. It's, it's over. But then I knew I've been following Lewis Hamilton's career from karting almost because I remember watching him Champions of the Future on an ITV TV show um, when I was a kid because he's my age. And so he'd come in and that replaced it. But if he was to leave Formula One like tomorrow and not come back, would I stop watching Formula One? Absolutely not because you get dragged into the whole thing. You, it's an addiction that becomes a sort of a, a a way of life and you you can't just drop that i think if you're watching it just purely for one driver and you stop watching it then uh, can you argue that you're a real f1 fan is that a bit controversial Ooh, okay well real f1 fan i don't like that there is a logical fallacy to real f1 fan the logical fallacy i believe is called no true scotsman i don't know like oh well, no true scotsman would ever eat a haggis with jelly beans in it and then you go, well, I'm a Scotsman and I eat haggis with jelly beans in it. So you're wrong. And then the answer goes, ah, well, you're no true Scotsman. So you can, you can invalidate any argument by going, ah, well, then you're not a real F1 fan. However, there are people uh, who have come to F1 purely based on one driver. Now, there's a reason that F1 would be really keen to have a Chinese driver if they came in because uh, Zhu, in Formula 2, I was talking to Joe Saywood about at our live virtual audience with Joe Saywood. Tickets to go on sale for the next one this week. Look out on Joe's social media um, and, and, and mine. I'll advertise it as well. Um, but if you, if you specifically, you know, court a market and then you have fans who come in, say, from the Chinese market to support uh, Zoo or in Formula 1, uh, Ma, uh, you know, perhaps not quite Ma because he was about eight laps down. Uh, uh, every Epre. Um, but, but in those circumstances, you can get drivers, fans who come in just for one driver and go out. Now, I think Lewis Hamilton is actually a, a good example of that. Now, I'm going to court controversy by saying that, um, there will have been, you know, people, uh, in, in the black community of African Americans and, uh, uh, black Britons as well, who will have suddenly gone, whoa, there's a black guy in Formula One. And I don't think that is controversial or there's anything bad about that. But I think Lewis Hamilton brought in a whole community of people into Formula One who might not otherwise have been interested. From my point of view as well, to see, hear the story of a working class kid coming into Formula One when it's surrounded by rich kids. Straight away, Carl, I'm just like, oh, my God, he was kind of like me. Well, you know, his dad worked two jobs and cared enough to buy him a go-kart. But apart from that, he's kind of just like me. Yeah. Yeah, and it's this un, almost an underdog sort of thing, and pure talent can almost get you there, and lots of money, and having the right opportunity. But it's it was almost he almost got there on um, on on talent, and I hope all the new fans that have come in because of him, I I would like to think that they get besotted with the sport, they fall in love with it, and they stick around when it's gone. That's the whole point. If drivers pull new new fans in, fantastic, but please do stick around when your driver goes. And, and, and I think to be fair, I think a lot of the fans that Hamilton brought in are Formula One fans for life now and will have been hooked. But, but you can't deny, you know, that broad appeal. Um, for example, like I'm half Southeast Asian. 
whenever there's a Southeast Asian driver on the grid, I'm like fully all in. Like they get at least half my fandom automatically because it's rare. So like Kobayashi, I mean, fortunately, Kobayashi was the greatest Formula One driver to never get a race win. So that's quite, that's quite lucky, Kyle. So that is not a Southeast Asian bias, as we all know and you will back me up with. <laughs> Indeed, I I've been to Japan and uh, I I work with some Japanese people. I like the Japanese, so I always support. I always have done supported Japanese sort of drivers. I really like Sate as well, like who who is fantastic and and yeah, I love the commitment. Making a broad generalization there, but um, yeah, I I will again if I see someone who's brilliant and passionate and go for it, I will always support them, regardless of how well they do. Like I said, I've still got a soft spot for Taki Inui. I've seen someone just post it again there. That was Mike Stoner in the um <laughs> Mike Stoner in the comment section there. Like it's yeah. Uh, look Love uh, it. good comment from Derek as well. Uh Hamilton on paper should be loved by all. Working class background, dad had four jobs, local guy did good dated a pussycat doll what's not to love uh yeah no I, I i quite agree so that working class dream certainly you know brought me to being a declared uh, hamilton fan uh but yeah it's, it's, it's just um i think it's interesting to see how people come into the sport and how they stay and we're now seeing it as well with verstappen uh where you can really see that the big contingent of additional dutch fans there's plenty of dutch extant formula one fans and those Formula One fans are really enjoying having a great Dutch driver. And uh, Williams gave us a really good example. The kind of the, the soccer mentality, Kyle, that we're used to in Britain. We were kind of on the other side of that with the Williams pairing of Robert Kubica and George Russell. Yes, absolutely. And um, yeah, so there was obviously a big influx of Polish fans returning to Formula One, and I'm sure it was just a small little group of them who were getting quite hostile towards any. Uh, to everyone is sending a lot of hate mail towards George Russell. And there wasn't even a rivalry really between them. George Russell and Robert no. Kubica seemed to get on very well. And George Russell actually made the statement of it is affecting him because we get on all right, but the amount of hate I'm receiving just because you're your driver and your your perceived national hero in your eyes is being beaten by them. Don't hate on others. That's not what we want in the sport. We don't want to have to you know, tell people not to shout people out and be horrible to people just purely because of the nationality of your driver or whether it's be to your favorite favorite nation driver. That is not what we want in sport. Well, I would think you would blame the team in that instance and not the other driver. Because, like, I don't know what you think about Williams, but, yeah, no. It's just like, ah, ah. Yeah, that's, that's who I would blame if I was going to be an apologist for Kubitz's performance. I was just excited to see him back after such an immense accident that he could even get a car around the track, never mind score the only point for Williams, seemed like to be pretty much of a win as far as I was concerned. Fantastic yeah. chat here, and it's gone on way longer than I planned. The chat room are also reminding me of the crazy promises, which I knew we would never meet. So the new plan is to start the quiz on the hour mark, Matt, but we've got a great interview that I want to play now. Earlier... In the day, I was really lucky to catch up uh, with Giles Richards from The Guardian and had a chat with him. And I want to play you that interview now. Enjoy. I'm joined in the shed by Giles Richards, who is a sports writer for The Guardian. Giles, welcome to the shed. Hello there. Pleasure to be here. You wrote a piece recently titled Silverstone, Marshall's wary of extra risks to F1 going behind closed doors. I think most people, and me included, before I started doing an F1 show, 
didn't quite realise that GPs were manned so heavily by volunteers. What can you tell us about the numbers of volunteers required to run events and how many would be required for these proposed behind-closed-doors events? Right. Well, it's interesting because, in fact, I think people outside the motorsport world are, are entirely unaware that it's not just GPs. It's that every race across the country is is manned entirely by unpaid and voluntary marshals who do who do it entirely for the love of the sport, week in, week out. And this is on the less heralded weekends, you know, where, you know, um, touring car racing at Knock Hill or wherever. So it is, it's a huge job. And, and at a Grand Prix, it's even bigger. Now, my understanding of it, having spoken to several marshals about this, is that on an average, say, Formula One weekend at Silverstone, you would be looking at just under 1,000 people as part of the marshalling contingent. Wow. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's um, and again, I w- would stress that none of them are paid. Now, that, that covers an awful lot of bases. So um, of those 1,000, that would include track marshals, pit lane marshals, and the, the people you see on television wearing waving flags, etc. cetera, uh, people, rescue units, recovery crews, doctors, medical units, etc. Again, all absolutely essential for a race. But it would also include things like spectator marshals who look after people coming in and out of the track and uh, customer service volunteers, again, who, whose job is to look after the people, uh, fans. On a normal weekend, that's that would be the numbers you're looking at. In the proposed closed-door races that F1 are clearly attempting to make happen for at least the first four races of the season, the numbers I've been told, the, the sort of minimum numbers I've been told by marshals themselves is probably between 350 and 400 track marshals. There is no way to pair this back particularly. Um, for example, Silverstone has 34 marshalling posts and, and last year's Grand Prix had a doctor on every post. Oh. So uh, you're talking again there, that's 34 doctors if they went with the same thing. Now, I've also, I've been told it is the potential is there to to have slightly fewer marshals on each post, which would make their jobs ever so slightly more difficult. But my gut feeling on that is that that is not a road anyone in Formula One or Silverstone will want to go down because uh, any anything that might threaten safety is not is not going to be viewed favourably. So I I don't think they will try and pare back marshalling. I think they will try and stick at least with the number same numbers as they had last year. I had not considered the medical aspect of it. Your mind goes to actually the prospect of if there's accidents, if the drivers require medical attention, and if they're planning to have support races with it as well, there's quite a large medical burden. Well, there, there could be, and that's a very good question. I mean, again, the, the question of support races is one that's come up. And uh, again, I've spoken to marshals about this, and the marshals are saying, well, one way of easing everything would be to not have support races because then you would have there would be less burden on them, less burden on the potential burden on the medical services, etc. Some marshals, I mean, one marshal I spoke to said she was uncomfortable with the idea of the NHS becoming burdened by potentially becoming burdened by injuries because yeah. of Formula One or racing because it would would take away from their obviously the very serious task they're employed in at the moment now. My understanding of this is obviously that the way F1 and 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 any track track race organizer would approach this would be that they would only use medical staff in where those staff were not being taken away from essential services in the NHS. I think that would uh, anything other than that would be a sort of PR disaster for the sport. I mean, the, the corollary to that is that also you have an issue um, in under the current circumstances where medical staff will obviously have to treat potentially treat 
drivers or team members, um, which involves, obviously, it's impossible to social distance in those circumstances. Certainly, if marshals have to approach a stricken car yeah, or indeed put fire out or do anything like that, um, socialist dis- social distancing would have to go out of the window. Speaking to people, have you found that there's there's still a willingness to go to go back to these events and and what what are the major concerns that these these individuals have about returning to such a thing during I mean we still are in a global pandemic. Yeah, I mean there is concern obviously and it, and it, and it would be bizarre if there wasn't. I mean one thing I will say that that um I have uh I'm led to understand today that um the F1 and the FIA will test all marshals for the coronavirus. Now, that is a that was a major cause of concern for the marshals involved and the marshal organisations involved. It, it now has been made clear to me that, that the F1's proposals of making a isolated biosphere at races that would include testing would include all the marshals and, and uh, associated crew, recovery crews, medical services, etc. It's it's a complicated old business and, and I, I understand not cheap either. Attached to that is obviously the, the fact of social distancing, which will be mitigated, one would assume, if they have all been tested and are all clearly negative. Then the social distancing question isn't so much there. And nor do I see this being an issue in terms of numbers, in terms of the numbers of people volunteering. And I say that because certainly for the British Grand Prix, the number of volunteer marshals who want to do it every year is it's always oversubscribed so they're always having to say um to, to choose people and let some people down what the marshals have told me is that even if some of them can't do two in a row there will always be enough to step up who really want to do it the head of the british marshals club told me told me that there'll be many who want to do it because they would like to say who wouldn't want to say it you know in, in a five years time i did that race i did the coronavirus race absolutely the British Grand Prix that had no spectators 70 years after the first Grand Prix. So I don't think that those numbers will be an issue. Um, I, and, and, and again, these are very selfless people who, who, who do it because they love the sport and, and they want to see it go ahead if it's safe as much as anybody else. Wow. I think only the passion the, of everyone involved to get back to racing can match the enormity and scale of the challenge that we're facing and the logistics of trying to get these things done. Absolutely fascinating talking to you, Giles. You can be found on Twitter at Giles underscore Richards and your articles can be found at theguardian.com forward slash profiles forward slash Giles Richards. Giles, thank you so much for speaking to Missed Apex. Smashing, you too. Take care. Thanks for having me. Giles Richards there joining us via Zoom call on his phone. So no video for the live stream, uh, but really insightful trumpets hearing uh, uh, Giles's point of view. He spent a lot of time talking to the marshals and the heads of the various bodies that have to run these things should Silverstone go ahead. So, you know, an amazing insight. For one thing, I had no idea there was a doctor on every marshal post. You know, do you remember in the early days, Matt, we had Gary Hartsting on here, who was the former medical car driver. And I, I thought he was the only, you know, medic, you know, th- those that car, I thought that was the only medical resource. 34 doctors dotted around the track at Silverstone. I've, I've certainly learned something there. Yeah, that's a surprise to me. I'm not sure if that's a requirement at every Formula One race or if that's a particular uh, setup that Silverstone wishes to employ when they have Formula One there. 
Uh, but I have had actually uh, conversations with marshals in the past. They are, in order to do a race uh, that's at this level, much like a driver progresses through the junior ranks, as a marshal, you have to progress through various levels of experience and training in order to be considered qualified. And what he didn't mention in his interview, but what I have learned talking to other marshals here in the United States, is that there's often a very large contingent of international marshals that will travel just for the Formula One events, and that the travel restrictions may indeed make it more challenging to get the highly qualified marshals into the circuit. The good news is, as he pointed out, because there will be no crowds, the number of total marshals needed is going to be much lower than a traditional event. Uh, so just uh, two things. I did trim a little bit uh, for time. We did talk about the effects of uh, of the international scene where marshals are shared around you know, the world and the British marshals will go and advise at other tracks. And I think he did mention on there that the total number, number of volunteers is near a thousand when there's uh, spectators. Uh, but the, the bare bones, Carl, is like 400. Um, and, you know, now when you say it, you go, oh, yeah, of course, if you add it all up. But you never think about it. You never think there's 400 volunteers out there. Yeah. Um, I used to be a marshal for the motorcycles. And before you could do the international events like the MotoGP or the World Superbikes, you had to be accredited and you had to get at least, I had to get, I think I remember it was 12 signatures of doing either club races or domestic races first. And these aren't just any Tom, Dick and Harry off the street. These are trained people. Marshall training, you can't pull anybody to come up. You need to know how to be able to get the driver out of the car. How Well, we had to know how to get a rider's helmet off and assist the medics. And there was a medic on every corner, even for a domestic British Superbike Championship. We had to have a medic and a doctor on each corner. Um, so that's that. So that's an absolute requirement. And the marshals are, yeah, they are volunteers. They're the unsung heroes of motorsport. So you can't just pull anybody to come and do that. Also, one of the problems with... Um, they were talking about running back-to-back races as well. These marshals, they usually camp. So none, they don't all just live around the corner from the circuit. Some of them have traveled several hours or even internationally to get to that circuit. So, And then they're camping in a tent if it's in a, a cold, wet British summer as well. That's not very pleasant. They also need to be fed. So there's going to need to be catering staff and everything there. Or some packed lunches made up for them. Or to get a food voucher. But they need to be able to spend that voucher somewhere. So it's a huge logistical nightmare. It's not just, oh, we'll throw some people on track. So I know we have a quiz to get to. However, this is the start of a much larger conversation about Isn't what it always, Formula One... It's always the start of a larger conversation. About what Formula One is looking at, the plans they are making for when they do come back, how they are going to come up to it. And I'm happy to push that to another show. But suffice it to say that all of these exigencies are already being considered in terms of Formula One's approach to how they will manage on-track personnel during the Grand Prix weekends. Um, there's been some stuff that's popped up on Reddit. There's been stuff that's been said in the press by Ross Braun, by Christian Horner. Uh, one of the key things to know, though, is that one of their plans is to test everyone at the circuit every 48 hours for the duration of the event and to absolutely can anyone who test positive, um, and that potentially could mean an entire team is taken off the grid because one of the workers tests positive. So there's a yeah. lot to get into here. I just don't know if we have the time today. I, I suggest that we leave it until next week, just before we recorded. 
there was a pre-recorded statement from the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. So relevant if we're talking about Silverstone. I think people are looking towards the calendar at, um, at Austria being the first, being the first track, all behind closed doors, these first four races, Matt. But with regards to Silverstone, obviously the Prime Minister's comments are prevalent. Yeah, uh, the only thing that has been confirmed by Formula One right now is that Austria is the target for starting the racing. That's it. Silverstone being talked about. Nothing beyond Austria is confirmed. And even Austria, of course, is subject to change depending upon uh, circumstances in the future. So clearly we are. we could wander into triggered territory very easily. We could make this political very easily. In the UK at the moment, what we've just seen is a, a loosening of of lockdown restrictions with people who cannot work from home being encouraged to go to work and an eye for retail establishments such as cafes and restaurants looking to open on the 1st of July. So that's the current government plan. Some schools opening, some years opening on the 1st of June. But this is all dependent on, and I believe the government when they say that it is all dependent on how well the rates of the virus and everything respond. Now, an easing of restrictions when we are still currently experiencing more infection rates and more deaths than when we first started the lockdown would seem to me to suggest that easing of the lockdown would mean a worsening of the situation. So it depends. It depends how those plans respond to a worsening of the global pandemic that we were in. And it's no trivial matter. So I'll keep staying to you guys, what I keep saying to my kids, uh, what I keep saying here when it comes to F1, we, we can't predict anything. We can't predict anything too far ahead. Just because the government says, you know, we've got this plan for two months. Two months is a heck of a long time in a global pandemic. And I would just say, you know, keep enjoying your life. Keep staying safe. Please uh, do more than stay alert. Like just really, really look after yourselves and your families because at the end of the day, look at the ones in your house that you love. No one's going to look after them more than you are. Uh, and that's the thing to focus on. And if we're super lucky, however long it takes, we'll get some F1 back. And when we do, we will be right here. We are absolutely gagging to do a race review in Formula One. But we are really enjoying having a little, little bit of freedom uh, to pick our topics, talk about what we want to talk about. Because a half hour conversation about fandom would be considered waffle mid-season. But we get to do it. We enjoyed doing it. And I hope you enjoyed it as well. Uh, consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash missed apex. Consider listening to me and Matt on the Remain Indoors podcast as well. This week streaming Tuesday 2 p.m. and Thursday 2 p.m. Normally three times a week. But watch this space with Remain Indoors because a thing is about to happen. But the thing that's about to happen now, exactly on schedule. My watch is broken, so we'll never know. But I think it's on schedule. It's time for a quiz. This quiz brought to you by the frankly excellent Catman F1. Chris, Catman Turner, one of the nice... In fact, Kyle, you've got a reputation for being a nice guy, but your beard does suggest you're slightly evil. Catman is equally nice with no evil beard. So I think he might be the nicest member of the crew. And he heals poorly cats back to health and gives them contact lenses. It doesn't get more honourable than that, does it? I heard that he once, he once suckled, he once let baby deers suckle on his own 
on his own teat until they were strong enough to go back into the wild. And then he stayed in the forest with them for three months to make sure no predators came. That's the level of dedication he has to veterinary services. He's a real vet, you know. He's a real vet. He went to school and everything. Uh, and I'll let him introduce the quiz himself. Good evening. It's your Quizmaster Catman here with another mind-bendingly difficult quiz for you. We have three quick rounds this evening, the last of which has not been done before. I hope you enjoy it. You ready? Here we go. We're not ready, Catman. We never are. But I hope you enjoy this quiz. Play along at home and don't mind too much, uh, you know, the fact that we don't get any of the answers right. He has recorded them all on WhatsApp um, and the quality is reflected in that. Same as we did a couple of weeks ago. Here we go. I think let's nominate Kyle to go first. Round one is a trivia round with two questions each. Here comes the first. Who holds the record for the most consecutive pole positions? I'll play that again because I missed his instruction for how the quiz works. Round one is a trivia round with two questions each. Ah, okay. Alternate questions. First. Who holds the record for the most consecutive pole positions? Most consecutive pole positions, Kyle, before the chat room gets in. The chat I'll room's not helping. Ham. They've said tacky and Louis, so that's not helping at all. You think Lewis Hamilton, that's what you're going for. Have to say... The chat room has said Vettel and Schumacher, Rosberg. Do we get an opportunity to steal? Are we doing stealing, Matt? What do you think? What do you think, Matt? Should we steal? It, it, it could be fun okay. to steal. Okay. I like the idea. It was pretty fun last time. Okay, cool. In that case, I'm going to say uh, uh, Vettel. So it's it's two points if it's yours and it's one point if you steal. I'm going to steal with Vettel. You can also try. I, I would go with Schumacher. Okay, let's Although hear. I think it's Hamilton personally. Let's hear the answer. That was Ayrton Senna with eight in a row. All oh, right. Well, no, I don't think anyone got that. Oh, Mr. Catalyst got it in the chat room, wow. as did Mark Skid. Uh, well done, guys. Okay, this question is for Matt Trumpets. Who has entered the most races with a single constructor? Who? Who has entered the most races as a single constructor? And you will occasionally get that WhatsApp ping when I press the wrong button. N- nope, that's okay. Um, what do you mean by... Do you mean a driver with a constructor or a constructor? I think it's a constructor. It's a constructor. Who has entered the most races with a single constructor? No, it's which driver has entered the most races with a single constructor. Mm, so the longest and most loyal driver. Um, You know what I'm going to go with? Because the modern era has so many races. I'm going to go with Lewis Hamilton again. Lewis Hamilton. For what team, though? Mercedes. For Mercedes. Here we go. I'm just going to trust you two not to look at the chat. I think that's the only way it's going to work. That was Michael Schumacher with 181 entries. Oh, look at that. Neither me or Kyle thought to steal. I think we liked your answer. So, my go now. Come on, Catman, give me an easy one. Who holds the record for the most consecutive race wins? Didn't he have that last week? Oh, no. I've just given away the answer there. I pressed the wrong button. Uh, I think he's going to say the answer is Sebastian Vettel, but I wasn't going to say that. So let's just confirm that. Vettel with nine in a row from Belgium to Brazil in 2013. Oh, if I'd have really thought about it, I might well have gone for that. I've met that up. My finger fault cost me the points there. Kyle Power. It's Kyle Power, isn't it? Not Powers. It's Power, yeah. Yeah, okay. Such a good name. So jealous. The Kyle ruins it, but the power bit's brilliant. Oh, absolutely. Who was younger when they set their first ever fastest lap? Was it Nico Rosberg or Lewis Hamilton? Ooh. Nico Rosberg. Really? Is that what you're going for? Well, I'll say Hamilton. Bahrain Grand Prix 2006. Okay, well, I guess we can't steal if it was a 50-50 was always the rule. Here we go. 
Nico Rosberg was younger. He was 20 years old, whereas Lewis was 22 years old. See, we forget. Do I get a bonus for the Grand Prix? It was his first Grand Prix, which is the Bahrain Grand Prix in 2006. Nice try, but absolutely not. Two points for you. We forget Lewis Hamilton joined so late, if you like, compared to some of the modern guys. Um, when we were talking about the, the sim, the sim stuff, which we never got to, um, obviously all the other, you know, the younger kids have been in the sim races and stuff. Lewis Hamilton is not doing it. People are like, ah, oh, how come Lewis Hamilton's not doing the sim races? Cause he's like properly old. Like he's a proper old dude. He's like in his mid thirties. He's not that much younger than me. In fact, he's your age, Carl. So he's, he's proper old. Um, but yeah, he has apparently been playing Call of Duty with Pierre Gasly and Charles Leclerc. Which you go, oh, okay, that's that's quite an interesting insight into what they get up to. Matt Trumpets, here we go. This quiz is going to take forever if I inject chat and interesting facts in between each question, which I plan to. Which driver has scored the most number of third places? <laughs> that's the worst question ever in a quiz. Go on then, Matt. Look, I'm definitely going to challenge. That seems like a perfectly fair question, I'm one gonna... that it will be easy for me to answer. Does he give me a list of drivers to choose from? Is this multiple choice or do I just have to guess? Yep, you just have to guess. Yeah, I've, got, I've got my guess ready. A... Don't look in the chat. Just do it. Just guess. Uh, Massa. I'm going, I'm going to steal a Bottas. Raikkonen. Let's go for it. Let's see. That was Kimi Raikkonen. Oh, ah. One point for Kyle. Kyle is currently on three and me and Matt unsurprisingly have no points. My question. Which driver is the only driver to have led a lap in every single race that they entered? What? That's not a thing. Which driver is the only one to have led a lap in every single race they've entered? Okay, it's going to be from like 1932 or something like that, isn't it? Uh, uh, what's his name? The the uh, the old Ferrari guy who won five titles. Ah, Fangio. I'm going to go for Fangio. Who's stealing? I'm stealing. Go for, Go for it, Matt. And it's very clearly the guy who drove that Jeep in the Korean GP that got on track after the safety car. Oh, he's always oh, he not. He led the lap steal. and he was the only time he was ever on the track. Kyle, are you going to steal, steal with Bert Mylander? No, I've got to steal. <laughs> it's Marcus Winkelhock, I think, for 2007 European Grand Prix at the Nürburgring. And was that his only race? Yeah. So it's a tricksy question. That was Marcus Winkelhock. <sighs> Come on. I'm going to argue I was also right and that Catman did not even consider the possibility that the person driving that Jeep support vehicle that shouldn't have been on track still led the race and it was his only GP. He entered only one race, the European Grand Prix in 2007, and he led one lap for Spiker. I think that is the end of round one. Uh, Let's see. Hang on. How does WhatsApp work? You click the thing. And then it goes, oh, do you know what? I'm just going to click the next button. Here we go. I think this is round two. And it's for you, Kyle. You've got an, mm. a massive lead. Four plays zero, plays zero. It's all downhill from here. Round two is about Renault in Formula One. Oh, what? I'm going that to seems really, really wrong, but okay. <laughs> Renault in Formula One. I'm going to include questions about their time as a constructor and an engine supplier. Oh, the whole round is about Renault. Jeez. We have one trivia question and one true or false question each. Okay, we've got a chance, Matt. We've got a chance. Here we go. Which team did Renault purchase in 2000 in anticipation of their fully-fledged works return in 2002? Kyle? Benetton. Ah, That was the Benetton Formula 1 team. Two points for Kyle. Jeez. All right. I think... I think it's nearly time to call it. We're only just into round two. Matt, Can we just give up and say Kyle won? 
No, not yet. We're going to fight. We're going to fight, Matt. Let's do it. All right. And the second part, true or false? Oh, I think this is for you as well, Carl. Oh, sorry. Renault took the first ever win for a turbocharged engine. True. That was true. At at Dijon in 1979, which is the race better known for the epic duel between Reddy Arnoux and Gilles Villeneuve. Gilles Villeneuve, sorry. Jack Villeneuve. Right. Okay, so... Uh, wow. Okay. Yeah, maybe you're right, Matt. We should call it. Here's your two questions. Come on, get four points and get back in this fight. Who was the last person? (laughs) Stop interrupting, Catman. Yeah, but that was funny. You got to admit. Who was the last person to win a race using Renault power? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, oh, there we go. I managed to catch it there before it got to the next question. Go on. Who was the... Do you want the question again? Sure, why not? Last person to win a race using Renault Power. This is how they do it on quiz shows, I'm sure. We just WhatsApp voice notes. Who was the last person to win using Renault Power? Uh, that's going to be one of them trick questions, but I'm pretty sure it would be Sebastian Vettel. I am going to go for Kimi Raikkonen. It's Max Verstappen. Whoa, again, ahead of Kimi Raikkonen at Barcelona. Was that still Renault? Let's have a look. That was Daniel Ricciardo. In 2014, for Red Bull. Oh, you were the closest, to be fair, Kyle, but still wrong. Okay, my... Oh, you're true or false here, Matt? True or false. Alain Prost took Renault's first constructor championship win, either as an engine supplier or as a constructor. What are you going for? Mm. Get off the mark. First win? First win. False. That is false. Nigel Mansell did so a year earlier for Williams in 1992. Well, there you go, Matt. You are off the mark. Let's see if I can do the same. What did the team name change to in 2011, despite retaining the Renault Constructor name? Oh, if, if that's not Lotus. Oh, I'm just going to say Lotus. Any steel? No. They rebadged as Lotus. Okay, good. Mm-hmm. Phew, I could not remember. I was thinking 2011, that sounds early. That sounds early. I nearly chickened out there. But two points for me. I'm off the mark. Let's see if I can win oh. this coin flip. True or false? Jensen Button outscored Jarno Trulli in his only year racing for Renault in 2002. Ooh, I'm going to say true. That is true, although he was dropped the following year for Fernando Alonso, whilst Trulli remained at the team. Well, there we go. The scores at the end of round two. I believe it's the end of round two. Kyle is on a runaway eight. Matt is on two and I am on four. All still to fight for. I assume, I don't really know how many questions are left or what they're worth or what the rules are, but let's assume there's all still to fight for. Round three. Which driver is this? Which driver is this? I shall describe a driver and you have to guess who I'm talking about. There are no champions, but all are race winners. Oh, excellent. Let's have a look then. So we'll go, we'll stick with our order. Kyle, you go first. I competed in 15 seasons of Formula 1 racing, scoring 11 victories and 41 podiums. In my best year, I lost out on winning the driver's title by a single point. I am the most successful driver at the Turkish Grand Prix, having won it three times. Lipe Massa. I am the only driver to have taken pole position in 2014, not driving for the Mercedes team. That was Felipe Massa. Two more points for you, Carl. I have to say, I would have got that one. I'd have got that one as well. Uh, Matt, you'd have got that too. I know you would have done. Here we go. Here's yours. I scored my first and last victories for the Benetton team, which were also the team's first and last victories. 
even though they were 11 years apart. I was also a race winner, taking 10 in total, for Ferrari and McLaren, and I finished third in the championship twice. I was well known for being a prankster in the paddock. Oh, okay. I think I've got it. I think I've got it. Oh, no. So, Kyle, I think we've both got it, but you look to have it first. So you can steal first if Matt doesn't have an answer. It looks like he doesn't. It doesn't. looks like he doesn't. Uh, go on yep. then, Kyle. Gerhard Berger. I was going to say Gerhard Berger mm-hmm. as well. I'll you let can you... have it because let's close the points up a little bit. You are No, I don't need your pity. Don't give me your <laughs> pity points, power. That was Gerhard Berger. No, because you had it really early on and I mm. only had it after they started talking about being a prankster and 10 wins. So that was definitely, mm. definitely you, Carl. This is my question. As soon as you said the Benetton, the, the first and last with Benetton, it was Berger. Yeah. That was that was a fuzzy, fuzzy era, era for me. And that was before he went to Ferrari. And, and for me, Gerhard Berger was always part of that partnership. It was Berger and Alessi at Ferrari. They would do kind of well, be sort of up front, and then the engine would blow up. And that was... Yeah. That was all I really ever registered in my young brain of Gerhard Berger. Berger's camera would fly off and smash a lacy suspension. Yes, <laughs> of course. Oh, do you know what? I might be tempted to go back and, and watch a few of those those hazy 80s, early 90s races where I think I remember them, but I was probably too young. So this next question I think is, is for me. I raced for Minardi, Jordan, Benetton, Sauber, Renault, Force India and Ferrari. I won three races, including one where I was only declared the winner in the week after the race due to a confusion with the race result on the day. I was part of a team that won two constructors titles, but never won the driver's title myself. I've gone on to become the Le Mans 24 hour class winner for Ferrari. Okay, so I think it's Giancarlo Fisichella. Yeah, and you're nodding in agreement. Brilliant. I am Giancarlo Fisichella. Now, I was surprised there. I immediately thought Giancarlo Fisichella, but the amount of teams he drove for, that hasn't, that hasn't registered. That's an incredible amount of teams. Proper journeyman. Yeah, proper journeyman. Okay, here we go then. So this is for you, Kyle. I had an offer to replace Ayrton Senna after his death in 1994 for Williams, but chose to stay at Sauber, who gave me my first drive in Formula One. I went on to race for Williams later in my career, but I only took one victory to the team, compared to I my teammates seven on the way to the driver's title. I was more successful for the Jordan team, where I took two further wins. I dated Karina Betch before she <laughs> married Michael Schumacher. <laughs> Schumacher nicked yeah. his girlfriend. <laughs> oh, super, super awkward. Yeah, Heinz Harold Frentzen. That yeah. was Heinz Harold Frentzen. Mm. Do you know what this quiz is good for? It's not just a fun quiz, but it's just sparking off like loads of like memories. I, I like the mm. period he's gone for here as well. Um, it's in that sweet spot uh, of stuff I was aware of, but before doing anything like media-wise or even really being super aware of, of F1. You know, a lot of those memories have faded. So nice. I think it's before we were like um, legal to drink as well, or for, so we can kind of remember things. Well, uh, I don't think in the mid-90s there was a legal drinking age, <laughs> as far as I'm aware. Oh, no, no. There was a legal drinking age for pubs, but if you wanted Alcopops or 2020 from the newsagents, no bother. <laughs> uh, sorry, Trumpet. Sorry, making you jealous. You can't drink till you're 30 in the US. Here we go. Here's your question. Uh, I was going to say that never really stopped us, but... Here we go. Let's. That's a dark path. Let's put that on the remaining doors show notes. Fair enough. 
I have my national flag proudly displayed on my helmet. I somewhat embarrassingly crashed into the pit lane entry at the Australian Grand Prix in 1995. I won 13 races in my career and finished second in the Drivers' Championship. That was a question for me, wasn't it? I wasn't paying enough attention. I crashed into a pit lane. Uh, I'm just going to go for uh, Grosjean then. Go on, steal. It's Coulthard. Is it Coulthard? Fair and enough. It was 95 at Adelaide when he binned it in the pits. I don't remember that. I don't remember him binning it in the pits. I'll have to look mm-hmm. that up. That was David Coulthard. You know when you said, I told you there was, in fact, this was your idea, Kyle. You said, is there a quiz? And then I asked oh. Catman and he was like, yeah, no problem. And look at it. No wonder you wanted a quiz, you smart <laughs> I love their quizzes. 14 plays four plays six. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Me and Matt don't mind being the whipping boys in the quizzes. Uh, right. Uh, let's see. I've lost a little bit of track of where we are. Uh, that was the last one I played. So there's one more driver thing. Uh, has someone not had it? Someone who not had one. Hmm. Okay. I raced alongside Senna at Williams. Quick fire then. Hands up. My one race victory of the team was a dominant display from pole position. But I did not ever visit the podium again. I had a Nigel reputation Mansell. for on-track incidents. And I have since won my class at the Daytona Mal- 24 and finished on the podium at Le Mans. Yay! I was Pastor Maldonado. Uh... Senna I refer Hang on, okay. was Bruno Senna. Ah, <laughs> that's what threw you. But luckily for me, I had forgotten the first part of the question by the time the second part came along. <laughs> so that didn't stop me from answering it. But I also would have been caught out by that as well. I think that's the end of the quiz. That's all from me today. I hope you enjoyed the quiz. Don't forget, you can find me at CatmanF1 on Twitter and in the commentary booth for the MAP iRacing Championship. Cheers, fanners. Thank you and very a much. Fine job. Yeah, well, I don't mind that. I know it's not like the best sound com- uh, sound quality in the world, but the fact that he can just sit there very conveniently at home whilst you know performing heart surgery on a conscious duck that that to me we we can put up with that. If he can if he can heal that duck, we can put up with WhatsApp voice notes. I think that worked all right. Yeah, I I was just a bit disappointed that there wasn't cats meowing faintly in the background. As he was reading out the things, that would have been good. There was cats meowing in our hearts, Kyle. In our hearts. You have 14 points. Matt has two, and I have six. Um, a moral victory. And actually, that order is exactly the same, pretty much, uh, as the order on round three of the Missed Apex iRacing event, where, Kyle, you were much, much faster than us. You've adapted to iRacing from your other sim racing super, super quickly. But first, will you allow me a moment because Matt made a very big deal of the championship table. So I just want to ask you, Matt, one simple question. I haven't had a chance to check on the championship yet. I'm currently running ninth out of 50. Well, where are you? Eighth or above, I assume? No. Hooray. Oh, come on. Let me have my moment to gloat. Look upset. Look sadder than that. Uh, I, I, I'm not the least bit worried about it. What do they say? Swings and roundabouts? You were ahead. I was ahead. I think you're ahead right now by a little bit. But given the fact that I completed no race without damage, I'm not really too concerned. I also outqualified you, even though I only had a single lap. So. Okay, but in my hey. defense, that's because I'm really, really bad at qualifying and the pressure gets to me massively. I have failed to qualify anywhere near my best times in any of the qualifying events. It was a fantastic event. Uh, go back and look at it on Mist Apex Motorsport. I will say definitely better than the Formula E race at home 
uh, effort that I just caught where they had a street circuit with damage off and they literally all pushed each other down the second straight on lap one. Now, now, Kyle, uh, you're relatively new to iRacing, but you're a very experienced sim racer and carter, uh, car, hmm. cartist, car, cartist. Car, car, cartian, <laughs> cartian. Um, cartian. Uh, you've made the, the switch to iRacing, probably off the ultimate pace, but very, very fast. I think with iRacing, the damage model that we adopt for our races um, and the fact we were racing against concrete walls around the Charlotte Roval, uh, it really adds that sense of jeopardy. So there's more of an investment than just knowing you can just crash into people. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty, you have to really pay attention. And that's the great thing about iRacing is it gives the consequence. That's the one thing that misses from sim racing is the consequence. You have no fear factor. You can go and mash into people. So from being sort of racing in real life, you know, there's always a consequence, especially in open wheel racing and stuff like that. So, uh, that adds, that adds the consequence to it. And it's absolutely brilliant. And we had some fantastic new people come in, like Ramon Pinero, in particular, Danny Henney deserves a mention who could have won all three races were not for some terrible luck. Yeah. Um, it's just fantastic. And yeah, so I can't, I can't make it up enough. It was fantastic. Well, well, and I'm counting down the days till the next one. So we did have people in that cause we've moved from MX fives to Renault 2.0s. Now last week, Brad was on here and he said, um, that he, you know, he, he is a Nordschleifer specialist and he's now be, been doing TCRs in their e-sports effort. And he says that on iRacing, with the VR headset on, he gets a very similar buzz and race experience than he does, you know, that he does to real life. So obviously it's not the, the, the fear factor is not the same because we're not worried about hitting a wall and then dying. Um, and, and there's no butt feel. Uh, but there's that same kind of competitive element and it's a simulation enough that it can give us an idea of, uh, or, or a better appreciation, Carl, I think, of what single seat drivers are going through. <laughs> Um, yeah, I was just going to butt in there when um, I've been fortunate enough to do a couple of Palm Sport days and drive their F3000 car. Um, and it's not just drive around the track and people around, you're you're encouraged to push. So you, I get to push these cars. And the first time I got in the Formula Renault 2.0, and in particular in VR, I had a little flashback moment as I was making a transition between two fast corners. And I had this little flashback moment of this feels familiar. And it felt just like driving. It felt between turns 11 and 12 at the bedford west circuit or east circuit i can't remember which one it is and it felt identical it felt so close to real life that i had a mini flashback in my brain and that's brilliant that's the first time it's happened to me on a game or a sim and it's not a game it is a pure sim fantastic and we definitely weren't all crashing into you on purpose because we knew it was your first <laughs> vr experience that was so funny whenever i saw you on track <laughs> launching you up into the air and you do feel you do feel sick and if you're not expecting it when you get thrown up into the air like i now have to close my eyes if i yeah. get you know a big wreck uh but yeah so look all i'm saying is that the fact that the that it is such a close simulation has given us somewhat more of an appreciation of when we now watch single seaters. Cause I've certainly never done anything like this before and I get a very good competitive feel. Um, in the live chat, I just have to mention that, uh, David Galambos has contributed at HUF. I don't know what currency that is. Um, something Franks, 2000 of them. So wow. are we fantastically wealthy now? I don't know. Uh, but even if it's, uh, uh, you know, enough for a pint. Thank you very much, David. That is much, much appreciated in our super chat. You can, of course, support us at patreon.com forward slash Mr. Apex or 
if you just want to say nice job guys and buy me and Matt a pint, forget about Kyle. He's fine. He, he's a teetotaler. Um, if you want to buy me and Matt a pint, there's a tip jar on the homepage, mistapexpodcast.com. It's Hungarian Florence. Duh. Oh, okay. Of course I knew that. Yeah. I just, I wanted you to say, <laughs> apparently it's a fiver. That's much appreciated. Thank you very much, guys. Better than a kick in the teeth. Well, no, if it's a fiver, that's one pint's worth. So I'll have that. Any additional pints go to Matt. That's the way it works. So you, you have to double up if you want to include, if you want to include Matt. Um, but the, the, the appreciation of things like, uh, risk reward. Uh, Kyle, I thought was, it's been really interesting for me as someone with no real racing experience, like me and Matt have uh, probably similar paces, but I think Matt is a bit more aggressive than I am. And I think I am a little bit more like drive like a granddad. A little bit more sort of um, someone's coming up behind me. I want to try and benefit from them, which you did to me. So, so you just moved over. You're like, just go through, just go through and I'm going to follow you through the pack. And we had a complete ball working our way through (laughs) several people. It was me, me clearing the way and you just following your way through. Yeah. Because other people were going, Oh no, it's Kyle. He's way fast. We'd pull over and then I'd stick my nose in as well. (laughs) Uh, But that risk reward, Matt, I mean, we, we berate F1 drivers for, for not being ballsy enough. I remember specifically Charles Leclerc in his first year was it up or no i get confused between leclerc and ocon i think it might have been ocon actually in the force india uh, up the inside of vettel and hamilton at the at the top of uh, past eau rouge uh and then the end of that straight someone help me what's that long straight called but he was up the inside of the chemistry he was up the inside of those guys and he ducked out and he let the leaders go through and we're like oh come on you could have been leading a grand prix here but actually that risk reward now, like I have to eat my words because I knew full well that when I had ex Formula Two driver, Ramon Pinero, single seater driver, Danny Henney and Bradley Philpot breathing down my neck, I didn't fight those guys. I didn't fight them for a second because I wanted to survive. Now, one of the smartest things you can do is recognize when you're in a proper battle with someone who's around your pace and when the people are just faster than you. And if they're faster than you, the sooner you get them around, the better off you're going to finish. Uh, for me, uh, my frustration with the race was that at least in two of the three races, I just was hit from behind, which in circumstances were entirely understandable. But then you're just left driving a damaged car around slower than you can go. And you're just like, ah, ah but ah, it has given you an appreciation ah. that when you've lost a bit of aero, how much harder the car is to control without, you know, a bit of front like wing your or your entire case. rear wing. Yeah. It turns out that slows you yeah, down. Yeah, you had no rear wing. Say- his bit of aero was the entire engine cover, rear wing, the lot. And he did that over half the race. I couldn't believe, I thought it was a graphical glitch when I was coming up to him. I was like, surely not. No, I was like, no, he's just got no, the rear end of his car's gone basically. So incredible pace considering. Um, and I thought one of the, the really interesting things that I've now experienced in the sim world, which I had no real idea about uh, watching Formula One, was the effect of the aero wash. So because we've got a mixed ability grid, some of the better drivers have set up uh, well, in this case, Brad uh, did a setup for us that isn't the ultimate fastest pace, but has a lot of downforce and a little bit of understeer to stop us just losing the back end straight away. Because they are realistic enough that someone of my ability level struggles. Uh, in the Silverstone Championship, Brad gave me his out-and-out fastest setup, and I tried to drive that. And Brad does not like a ton of downforce. He basically drives that thing stripped bare and just controls it with magic, presumably. And I really struggled. But for the ones we use with Mist Apex, 
we bolt maximum downforce on. We we put the brake bias forward so the back end doesn't come out, and uh, you know, and we give it understeer. Um, but because we had so much downforce, the aero wash w- was quite pronounced, wasn't it, Kyle? So within what one point two seconds of someone, suddenly you weren't getting you were getting a bit more understeer. You got the toe going in, but you had to make totally different decisions in the corners, um, mm. which is interesting from a driver point of view in itself. But we didn't have Pirelli tires that are designed to degrade, which Formula One does. And you can really see that that with Formula One cars, you're going to be constantly scrubbing, feeling it. And you go, oh, well, actually, maybe the aero wash wouldn't be such a bad thing if they had tires that could last forever, which Pirelli could make if they wanted to. It could do. It's not just the durability, though. The one thing that we were suffering from as well was tyre temperature. So my tyres would overheat if I was trying to drive normally sitting behind somebody. So if I was sitting behind somebody, I was driving about 80%. I was braking a couple of metres earlier and sometimes using a lower gear than I would have done on the apex to get the front end in. So I'm not putting a lot of steering lock on, being very conscious of how much steering lock I'm going on as well to keep the front tyres cool. Otherwise, you could just cook your front tyres and it really does make you appreciate quite how hard it is for the guys in real life following. And while they're moaning about the aero wash that we sometimes slate them for moaning so much but we can understand why now yeah well i suppose the toe doesn't have as much of an effect as it used to because the straights are not as long so well they obviously the straights haven't changed length but comparatively with speeds and and such like the toe doesn't overcome the effects of the aero wash through the corners um, because as we get more faster as we get more faster that's worse than unkeen as we get faster uh, on the straights and in the corners and have more and more downforce, losing downforce has a greater and greater effect. So F1 has just got an extreme version of what we experienced uh, at the Charlotte Roval. Uh, and, it, and it just makes you wonder, you know, will will the, the new regulations sort that out? Because I now suddenly have a real sympathy when you go, oh, come on, Lewis, you caught him up, attack. And, and a lot of the times we're sat there going, oh, they're not attacking. Come on, Bottas. Jeez, you caught up with Hamilton. Just have a punt. But like you can't because as soon as you get behind in that dirty air, you're driving as hard, but you're not getting anywhere close enough to make a move. It's really worth considering how carefully they monitor temperatures, tire temperatures in particular. So something like an attacking move, if you don't have overwhelming pace superiority, I'm talking like a second and a half plus a lap, is a matter of catching up at tenths planning your effort, and then taking that one chance and making sure you're close enough on the final turn before the long DRS straight to really have a go. Because any because because if you don't get it in that one lap, now you've got another lap or two where you have to get back out in non-dirty air, cool not just the tires, but the engine as well, and consider that you've got fuel saving that you have to manage and energy saving as well. You've got to charge your battery all the way back up. So the entirety of the battle between the two cars is the management, the constant management of all these resources and to put yourself on someone's tail with an ability to get past them through the final corner or onto the back straight, if that's where the other DRS zone is, is is a remarkable feat of driving. And the more you do even these simple simulations like we're doing now, the more you can absolutely appreciate the skill level involved for the people in that cockpit and the people sat on the pit wall, even though we do make fun of them when they make stupid choices. Uh, Mike Stoner. Sorry, sorry, Carl. I'll just say Mike Stoner uh, said, you know, I was skeptical, but iRacing is totally awesome. And I think a lot of people 
are, are like that when they get on iRacing, especially mm-hmm. VR, they suddenly go, oh, I, oh, oh, I didn't, I just didn't realize. Also, oh, I have to say, Mike Stoner has done a very fun, uh, choose your own adventure style article. So go to mistapexpodcast.com, click on the articles tab and have a look at some of the work we're doing over there at mistapexpodcast.com. Kyle. I was going to say, I was fairly skeptical. Well, not skeptical. I did a lot of console racing and I was used to make fun of people and I racing take it far too seriously. And as soon as I got on it, gone it, I was like, okay, I get it now. Yeah. Why? Oh my God. I've, I've made some rather silly comments, haven't I? And, uh, yeah, I could have backtrack a little bit and I was yeah. like, oh, I've been a complete idiot here. Um, um, and why aren't they ranting and raving about this even more? But you don't rant and rave about it because you, you can't explain it unless you're there, man. <laughs> So I think if you're located in the city of Austin, oh yes, you're maybe an hour mm. or two back of me. And if you've not heard about this, I just wanted to put it out there for all the financial trouble that the Circuit of the Americas might be in today, they are offering you the opportunity to take your own personal vehicle and drive it round the track as long as you're willing to make a minimum donation of $1. Wow. It is going to go to help deliver home meals to people in need. They're trying to raise, I think, enough money for half a million meals. I'm just looking for the press release. It was up at the top, I think. I mean, that's, ah, it yeah, looks like go. an amazing opportunity. If Silverstone were opening that up and they promised that they turned cameras off and didn't tell my insurance company, 100%, I would happily put a tenner in the donation jar. And I, look, and even if there was a rule like don't push, I would just like to drive my, you know, poodle around, drive my car around Silverstone. That'd be fun. Yep. I uh, just want to mention you can also donate non-perishable items. They have touchless drop off there. And uh, it's a good cause. And if you live in the area and you happen to be catching the live stream, then by all means, if you can, go and take the opportunity because driving a car on a racetrack is possibly the most fun you will ever have, period. End of. Mm-hmm. Yes. Guys, thanks. Thanks for joining me. I've really enjoyed these shows. I'm so glad we just made the decision to to just pile on through. Um, our hearts sank after going through a whole off season. And then having to kind of do another off season, but it's been positive. It's been positive. Uh, We've got, we've had new people come in and start listening to the show because other podcasts have kind of made, you know, I don't blame them. I don't blame the podcasts who effectively report on F1 races and report on F1 news. I don't blame them for shutting up shop uh, during this pandemic. However, we've never been reporters. We are a podcast about F1 and F1 is a huge topic. So as long as you guys haven't minded that we've indulged in the topics we want to talk about and the fact that we've actually, you know, pretty much done two hour podcasts every week since the pandemic came out. If you guys are happy, we're happy. We'll keep on going. And frankly, uh, you know, it's been a very good thing for the mental health of the people involved and hopefully some of the people who are watching as well to to get involved and still be doing stuff like this so matt before we get out of here though we do owe a debt of gratitude i said our patrons were the favorite per people but there is a, a, another group who's my second favorite people i think i'm picking favorites just like i do with my children so patrons first patreon.com forward slash mistapex uh, and then second it's got to be the live chat matt it's got to be the live chat second favorite what do you reckon yeah, live chat. Absolutely. They are the best. It's a wonderful community. People are well-behaved and respectful of other opinions. Okay, maybe I'm exaggerating a little <laughs> there. Yeah. 
But for the most part, we have a good discussion. They contribute so much to the show. And that, that's the funny thing when you chuck it up on YouTube. You don't really anticipate the amount of influence that the live chat can have on you. And we've just found a wonderful community of F1 fans to come hang out with us. And it's just, it's a wonderful experience. It really is. Which one of them's the best this week, Matt? Because there can only be one winner of... Comment of the week. Okay, that was kind of loud. All right, sorry about that live stream. The 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 levelator in the podcast edit will will smooth that out for podcast listeners. Um, I still had it cranked up for Catman's quiz. But who are the contenders and winner of comment of the week? All right, well up. This, well, first of all, I have to mention iHammer, who just chucked some money into the super chat. Thank you, iHammer, for doing that. Oh yeah, um, no uh, other favorites are people who donate to our tip jar and our super chat, absolutely. of course. Donate to the tip jar. You definitely get a mention at the end of the show. Uh, David Galambos, of course, chucks some money in as Hungarian Florentines or Florentines or whatever they are. Um, and our very own Richard Malden is in with O and Young at Matt Trumpets. Ragsdale is looking very handsome and debonair as always this evening. And even David, our friend David Galambos, got in. I've been listening to the podcast for well over a year but this is my first time catching the live show on YouTube. My God, Matt is good looking. Now, I need to tell you, so it is delighted as true. I am with these compliments. They are wonderful examples of how you cannot win Conversation of the Week because okay, so you Jealous Spanners okay, so has ruled them out of order. Okay, I'm slightly jealous of your hair and your COVID beard. That, 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 that much is true. But firstly, I have to berate you for three things. Uh, firstly... Uh, the, it's not conversation of the week. It's comment of the week, as so ably sung by Mrs. Spanners. Uh, secondly, we can't drift by without uh, mentioning that Richard Molden, who commented there, has done uh, a tireless job running registrations and being our race control steward as well for iRacing, compiling uh, the highlights blooper reel as well, and trying to raise the driver standards for the events, which we've really worked on and actually this race had our lowest incident count of any other event we've had so we're getting there sam Watley, who has helped uh put the sessions on you know dictated the track conditions weather um and and, and actually made sure that the sessions start on time and everyone can join it bradley philpot for doing the setups and helping us choose the track steve amy for producing the great videos over at mist apex motorsport on youtube as well chris stevens and uh, Chris Catman Turner for doing the commentary also. Um, so, uh, thirdly, the th- third thing I'm upset about is that we've got this far and you haven't actually given me a single candidate for comment of the week. Right. So conversation of the week, right back to it. Oh, this is why everyone hates you. They do. I, I can't argue. Um, Stuart Neal, don't forget the cost cap does not include the talent. Therefore, like the cost cap, there is no chance that this stream will end on time as the talent are not included in the rules. I mean, I'd feel attacked, but we're one hour, 45 minutes in. Prophetic, you have to admit. Uh, Mark Greenhouse, unkeen, noun, adjective, one, not eager or enthusiastic. Reg was decidedly unkeen on sharing the spotlight. Two, not sharp or penetrating, blunt, quote, it's very dangerous to cut with an unkeen knife. Okay, well, A, that is elite cleverism, and two, it's uh, siding with Kyle, and Kyle already has so much in the way of fantastic beards, uh, but he does wear glasses, which makes him a not sexually viable adult, so maybe he does need that vote of sympathy. Kyle, wearing glasses is disgusting. You, you are hideously unattractive because of it. 
I'm wearing a Renault shirt. It doesn't get sexier than that. Come on. You've got you've got like two TV frames on your face. What are you doing, man? It's it's to calm everyone down and it makes I don't have to beat I don't have to bring my big stick to beat the women off around with me. So it's fine. It's it's a mitigating set of glasses. Do you know what that is? Yeah, it's a big commitment. It's like a big old wedding ring on your face. Don't come near me, ladies. My eyes are defective and I would not be a good mate. <laughs> Where are we, Matt? Where are we at? What are uh, we doing? We're down to our friend Michael Dieselhoff. Kyle's ISP is trying to protect him regarding his Renault comments. <laughs> yes, I like that. Mike, that was a good one. Mike Stoner is in with, I like Ocon. Good to have an Irishman in F1. <laughs> I don't understand it, but let's assume it's racist and can't win. And finally, uh, we have one more from Mark Greenhow. If my last name was Power, I'd be sorely tempted to change my first name to Max. Absolutely. Only cost like 40 quid. Who's the winner, Matt? I think the winner has to be the uh, Cassandra Lake Stuart Neal. Don't forget the cost cap does not include the talent. Therefore, like the cost cap, there is no chance that this stream will end on time. Okay, mean, but also I think your second win. Congratulations, Stuart Neal. Comment of the Follow Kyle. He's on Twitter at KylePowerF1. Matt is at MattPT55. I'm at SpannersReady. The show is at MissedApexF1. All our stuff is on MissedApexPodcast.com. We have a Facebook page. Search for Missed Podcast and do the same on YouTube as well. Subscribe. Click the little bell. Get a notification every time we go live. And also, if you're an audio listener, don't just rely on seeing the web post. Subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. You can always email me spannersready at gmail.com if you want advice on how to do that or if you want to get in touch with me for any reason. Your correspondence has been inspiring, heartening and lovely. I try to respond to every email. We'll be back with Joe next Sunday. Wherever we see you next, be brave because wounds heal, chicks dig scars and glory lasts forever. This was Missed Apex. And that's one hour. Well, it's a bit fuzzy. I think I think that's exactly one hour, Matt. We did it. We stuck to an hour, finally. Yes, it was an imperial hour. Yes, if we can say words like unkeen from 1984, then we can make up our own truths Unkeen as well. is not that much of a word crime. I think, I no, it's know. not a word crime. No, it's a thought crime from 1984. Thought that, crime. Do, have you not read, have you not read George Orwell's 1984? It encourages I like... I haven't actually, no. Oh, wow. It encourages like children to, <sighs> to, to tell on their parents and things like I've that. I've heard about the thought police and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, that's yes. where that comes from. That's thought yeah, police. Yeah. yeah. There we go. See, I've read a book. <laughs> yeah. It's just that... that I was... read lots of books, just not that one. Yeah. I read lots of books pre-Netflix getting good. But, but since then, nothing. Before that, loads. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.